What's up, everyone? I'm Katherine Rudder, and you're listening to Life in the Fast Chain. For this episode, we have Dave Edwards and Rebecca Oliver from Chain That, and we have Victor Boardman from R3. Thank you for joining me, Victor, because I have to say, so one time I invited him on the podcast, and then um, I recorded it without him. (laughs) So I'm surprised that he is even agreed to join me because it was super rude. Um, but he's great. Big numbers guy. You got to listen to understand what that means. Um, this episode is amazing. We talk a lot about uh, how the insurance industry is dealing with um, the recent changes, obviously, with everything going digital, with COVID-19, and um, big uh, news for Chain That and um, how they're coping with everything. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm on the line with David Edwards and Rebecca Oliver from Chain That and Victor Boardman from R3. Thank you guys for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. you. No problem. A resounding thank you. Um, This is the first mini so or the first episode, full episode, um, that I've done from home and also with three people on the line. So um, if anything freezes or whatever, we're going to just keep pushing on. Um, Okay, guys. Thank you for joining me. Let's start with uh, David. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? And we'll go over to, to uh, Rebecca and then Victor, you're last. Yeah, I'm David Edwards. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Chain That. Uh, we look at um, using, we use Corda in the insurance and reinsurance industry. Great. I'm Rebecca Oliver. I'm the business development director at Chain That. Um, I've been with the company for 18, just over 18 months now. And uh, yeah, so I've been working very closely with Dave and also with Victor and R3 as well on some projects. So Victor, R3, been with the company since last year and heading up insurance for a year in APAC. Thank you for the introductions. I feel like, uh, I can't believe, Victor, you've been with R3 since last year. Where's the time gone? Yeah, it's nearly seven months already and it's uh, flown past. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, time is very confusing right now with us all working from home. How are you guys adjusting to working from home? Obviously, you can hear my dog, so I'm having that struggle. But how about you guys? Well, unfortunately, I was over in the U.S. just before this started. And uh, on the flight back, I got ill and ended up in hospital. And I've been at home probably now for 10 months. So, in effect, I've been in lockdown a lot longer than everyone else. But I'm fine. Wow. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm happy you're okay. But I'm completely used to this home, this home working thing and not being able to leave the house. (laughs) Oh, dear. Rebecca, how are you adjusting? Definitely. I think um, so. I think probably since the middle of March, I've been working from home. And uh, I think like most people at first, um, it was a bit of a novelty. uh, Not, you know, having to go into London every day, I guess. Um, But yeah, I think it's quite a long way in now but this is as we're all seeing the new norm we're all getting set up we're all making trying to make our offices look as professional as possible we're getting used to backgrounds now in zoom and different things so we're just trying to make ourselves look as corporate as possible but it's you're getting insights into people's real lives I guess (laughs) (laughs) definitely Victor I see that you don't have your uh, headband on today you're looking sharp 
um, the lack of hairdressing is is a challenge. <laughs> it's definitely growing a lot longer, and all the greys are coming through. So thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. I had to. Um, Okay. So because we're all working from home and um, everyone has to make adjustments, I also want to point out that we're so lucky that we we are able to work from home and we we work in a digital um, space. So that's great because I do have like friends and and other people who have lost their jobs because um, obviously the pandemic has changed a lot of things, but what are some immediate and longer term challenges faced within the industry, um, the insurance industry due to COVID-19? Across the market, we're seeing um, you know, just a different way of working, obviously. People haven't get used to new technology, you know, video calling, we've never sort of done within this um, traditionally. Um, obviously new, new technology and people getting used to new ways of working in terms of having to find new business. Uh, so placement, placement platforms, etc., but also new ways of perhaps assessing claims remotely, um, etc. So, so quite a lot of change in terms of um, the processes that people have to go through, the technology people are using, and the skills that people have to, to rapidly learn as well. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree that obviously, if we had set um, maybe you know, the, the insurance market to say, right, we're going to start working from home, I think in reality, the ability to be able to transition to that. Um, as quickly as we had in, in a theory would have been very difficult, but it was quite, I think it was quite impressive across adapting. And obviously, like to Victor's point, I think we've been able to adapt very quickly, utilise the technology as effectively as we can. Obviously, we've seen, you know, uprising to, in terms of the way in which digital platforms are being used and things like that. And and I think insurance industry has always been a very relationship-driven industry, and I think that's why it's always culturally been difficult to move across from that. But obviously, we're seeing that there is the ability to be digital, but also still re- maintain that relationship. So I think that's quite key too. And I think few, few people planned for this in the future. Right? A few people knew yeah. that this, this sort of um, extent of a, a pandemic would ever happen. So not that many people were prepared for it. And we see examples of people having to procure laptops, for example, for big portions of their workforce, they can go and work from home. Um, so there's been you know, cases of, of things like that happening. Um, but people, as you know, as Rebecca said, have adapted fairly well, it, it seems, at this point, because we've got the stick of this, this pandemic to, to force us to do that. So. Yeah, I think as well, it's, um, the people that have been traditionally on the face-to-face side of the industry, you know, having those interactions, and they're just used to having pen and paper almost, which still is a, a big thing in the insurance industry. Um, they're now seeing, well, why did I ever use a pen to sign something when I can go online and digitally sign a document? Why would I ever yeah. go back to doing that? So I think we're going to be, there's some potential long-term changes coming just in, because people have been forced now to adopt a digital way, whereas previously they were quite happy in the way things were going. And it's been a very slow industry to adopt change digitally. Um, and I think, you know, the yeah. very interesting point on the laptops where, you know, you've got these huge outsourced contracts for insurance companies providing call centers and so on, very heightened security, protecting people's data with desktops. And companies are buying thousands of laptops now, and they're having to renegotiate contracts to say, you know, the security, we can't provide the same level for our staff. They're going to be working from home. So there's yeah. all kinds of challenges that are going to, uh, that we've had to overcome very quickly, and it's going to change some of our working practices going forward. Like we were really lucky, I think, as you know, R3 would have been. Young companies, we'd probably do everything in the cloud and everyone works off a laptop. So all you're really doing is telling people, don't turn up at the office today, continue as normal. 
Whereas everyone else in the insurance industry, it's a, okay, we have to figure out now how we can do this. It's not a business continuity plan or a disaster recovery plan. This is something new that we hadn't really planned for. But I think longer term, I hope we take some of this agility that we've all demonstrated in the industry to, to move away, move in a different approach and actually see that we can be agile and flexible and we can utilise technology far more effectively. So, Yeah, I agree with all that. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's it. Um, I think, so Richard Gendel-Brown, CTO at R3, um, he recently published uh, a post, I think on Forbes, and he was talking about like a lot of companies and people who were kind of pushing off, like, no, it's not possible. We can't go fully digital, blah, blah, blah. When they were saying that before, and now that we're being forced to, kind of like Dave, you were saying, um, you realize like, yes, we can do this and, and we should be doing this. And it's kind of pushing everyone, I think, to to that um, digital world when some people were resisting for a little while. Um, so how could technology become an enabler to help the industry redefine their strategy post the pandemic? Um, so I think, you know, one of the big things we've always seen in insurance is the inefficiency in it. Um, and a lot yeah. of that is because of manual processes, lots of reconciliation, lots of consolidate, you know, uh, coordination that needs to happen and you know I think anyone from outside the insurance industry looks in and goes what the hell are we doing what's going on in this industry why are you doing it that way it's always been like that there's a reason for it there's, there's legacy behind it um, so I think now te technology is going to be people are now adopting technology they're seeing the value yeah. people are using zoom I'm sure a lot of the underwriters in London have never used zoom before you know they've never done a video oh. perhaps you know some of them haven't even used an ipad you know you, you get to that kind of extreme. Maybe that's been a bit too harsh on them. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think this will now make companies think that when they start to look at their solutions and how their their processes and reevaluating them, that they need to think outside. That you're not always going to be in an office, so you have to think more digitally about it. Um, there's yeah. some interesting companies I was spoken with before where they say we've always had a digital first um, approach. And when you what does that mean? It has to work. Whatever I do on my daily basis, it has to work on an iPhone or an iPad or a tablet or, a, you know, a smartphone, which is, yeah. you know, there's companies out there forward thinking like there's others that aren't thinking like that. They're saying, you know, we're quite happy just to do everything by paper and files. So it, yeah. I think the, the technology can help them and we can reduce the costs in the industry. When you get the cost out of the industry, we can then start to actually address some of the, the bigger problems in the globe around what's uninsurable today. Um, like I say, I think this has created the opportunity, I think, um, in because obviously we've been forced into a situation where we, we are going to look at existing processes and, again, you know, reducing the frictional costs. It's going to be a very challenging year for the industry as a whole, and so there's got to be ways in which we can be more efficient and technology and leveraging technology is going to be an important part of this. So as we emerge from the pandemic um, in whatever sense that will be and whatever new normal that is um, I think it's important that um, leveraging technology as effectively as possible will become quite a strategic um, it, it will be strategically accelerated I think within organizations um, they've gone through their steady state they've got stabilization within their organizations now and it's now looking at the future and actually some things that may potentially have been sort of longer term strategy for them may become sort of more um, immediate and, and technology will probably be one of those key things. So that's certainly what I think. 
I think just picking up on that as well, when you start to look at the, you know, lots of companies have got these large technology projects going on, modernization. Now, right now, projects are going on hold. You know, it's yeah. all about survival for companies. We've got to survive going forward. And it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes to come out of survival mode, you know, so that you, the company's got over the worst of it. We've, we've stayed yeah. here. But then how are you going to adapt to the future with technology? Are you going to rethink all of your projects that you've got going on at the moment, think more digitally on how they're going to go forward? Um, or are you going to do more of the same? There's still a chance that um, this is, we're just going to go back to the same way it was. It would just be BAU. We've got over the worst of it. Let's just focus on our margins again and not do so much on digital. There's always that risk, particularly in some of the more established insurance markets, as I should say. Yeah, you'd hope that that wouldn't, we wouldn't revert to that and things. I think that things um, have changed now for for good. But um, what about Chain That Solutions? How have you guys been dealing with this and projects you're working on? Has COVID impacted that? Oh, it's definitely had an impact. We've seen uh, multiple projects being put on hold um, because, yeah. of the, because of the because of it. And you know, with, you know, the company we work with very large organisations. It's the uh, it's the, uh, the 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 very large insurers and brokers the world yeah. and then, you know these projects are they're not the highest priority for them right now they're people and survival and uh, protecting their capital um what they're looking at going forward but saying that yeah. there are other projects there are some that are continuing um i'd say with the younger companies um they are they still see the, the value that this has got to have um it is going to be a challenging time i think for anyone that's looking at very new solutions and ways of approaching things um for the next six to twelve months until we get back on our yeah. feet at the end of that, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to see a huge demand for these types of technologies and, you know, working together in a more collaborative way. Just to put some, some colour around that, that, those challenges currently. So in some markets, we're seeing a 10 times increase in, in claims from, from previous peaks. And so insurance companies, for example, have to up staff, up skill, up scale to, to cope with that number of, of claims from processing point of view. And we're also seeing analysis that this could be the worst possible impact insurance industry ever in terms of financial losses, not least because yeah. of payouts, but also because of investment returns being reduced, crashes in the stock market, dividends not being paid, etc. And insurers rely somewhat on, on investment returns uh, with the capital they hold. So. Wow. That's pretty crazy, especially when you put that, I mean, obviously, I think... Yeah, you know that they, like every industry is being really affected, but when you put like the numbers and stuff out there <laughs> and actually talk about how much this is, things have changed within a few months. It's really crazy. Yeah, we're absolutely sort of in, in a new normal now, aren't we? After I mean, I, I've been here in, in uh, six weeks or so, um, working out of this this small office with the, the kids being home <laughs> and whatnot, and it's certainly challenging and, and uh, absolutely missing uh, some of the social aspects of getting back to back to the office. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. it's uh, definitely a new normal. But I think, you know, there, there is some positive. If you look outside the insurance industry, I think, you know, after we made a big announcement today it's related to NASDAQ, you know, there's, the things yeah. that are still moving forward yeah. in the financial sector, which is encouraging. You know, they say, you know, it's worse than, you know, 2008 or, you know, you know, there's still opportunity there it's not all doom and gloom you know you, you know we've had bad events in the past with insurance insurance is there you know to pick up these bad events uh, it just yeah. takes a little longer to recover from them and i think it's that continual evaluation and again like you know to, to to the stats that victor said i think this is a this is a is a time where yes there are going to be challenges 
you know, there are going to be losses. And of course, there's an awful lot, like you say, 10 times the, the volumes and things like that. So there's there's the processing and operational side of it. But again, it's like getting a little bit above that and looking at the strategic side and again, looking outside of the industry, even local businesses, you know, out completely outside the industry, how they have rapidly adapted from being a market stall to being a home delivery service and fruits and vegetables. Yeah. They're adapting very quickly. And actually, we can take a lot of, I think the industry can take um, a lot from that to actually see how much more um, agile and flexible they can be and actually come out of this or, you know, just find different ways in which they can transact and look at different ways of alternative capitals and things like that. So I think you, if people are thinking in the right way, um, I think you can come out stronger and better from, from these situations, even though there are challenges in the shorter term. So. Going back to your point earlier a little bit, when we're talking about, you know, this is it's going to change now. Um, if we look to the, the London market, um, electronic placement has been a big thing on the agenda for years. And really the only way they got adoption uh, in the marketplace, you know, because of the legacy and the history and the way things are done, was mandating it, saying, you know, you're in effect going to get financial penalties if you don't adopt this digital way of doing things. Now, in the last couple of, the last couple of months, what we've seen is the highest level of electronic placements happening in London ever, and it's been forced upon people. So yeah. that is a good thing. And I think, you know, there, there is an opportunity that will be changed, forced through here um, because of this. Yeah, I think, and maybe, correct me if I'm wrong in saying this, but I do feel like in the, in the insurance industry specifically, that there are, I feel that maybe not as agile, um, but now being forced into this uh I think it's it is kind of a good thing too. Absolutely. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, just say uh, I think a lot of people forget that outside of the insurance insurance industry is a very much a long tail business. Policies have yeah. to be around for years. So you know you had asbestos claims going back eighty years. So you you have to keep <laughs> the policies and the system of record. So when once someone wants to make change, it's not just changing for new things that are coming through. They have to take into account all of that legacy that we've built up over hundreds of years, well, not, maybe not hundreds, you know, the last lifetime, in effect, of the, the, the living generation. All of that has to be taken into account, and it is hard work to get done. It's all about integration yeah. and migration. And they have a huge cost for the industry to get over. That's a good point. Yeah, there's a huge, le- huge legacy technology challenge and huge legacy data risk challenge to, to incorporate in people's future sort of digital operating models, right? And you talked about digital first, David. The whole move to a digital operating model becomes that much more important now, but you still have to consider all the history of insurance, the data, the systems, etc., and build that into, your, into the future. Yeah, Victor, how do you how do you talk to companies who are like kind of not sure if they're ready to to jump into the blockchain? Like, I think it would be kind of hard before COVID and before everyone's been kind of forced into this. Like, what's your what's your I guess not pitch? I don't mean to be all salesy, but like, how do you get people who aren't are a little like changing the way that they do things moving forward it's, it's a big lift at, at the onset so how do you talk to, to companies and people like that yeah so i mean pre pre-covid uh, ch- challenges for insurers or areas that insurers are focusing on were, were um, better delivering products and customer experience to their clients that the insurance buyer so making sure they can acquire and maintain those customers and provide good products and good service to them across multiple mm-hmm. channels 
but also uh, on the back end, more on reducing costs and providing automations, etc. And fundamentally, yeah. insurance is, is built on, on good quality data and distributed ledger products can help insurers get access to um, single source of truth and, and more timely and better data because it can come from the source to the insurance world and insurance ecosystem and, and reinsurers on the back of that in, in a more timely fashion. So um, we primarily talk about um, better, better customer experience, uh, cost saving, but then we can also talk about potential of new products being brought to the market. For example, uh, micro insurance, which can be enabled because of efficiencies in, in setting up and uh, maintaining and managing policies, for example, um, perhaps parametric insurance and things like that. So additional products that can be brought to the market. So th those are sort of three areas we focus on. And um, traditionally, we've seen most people to start with focus on stripping out costs and frictional costs in their business. And um, so mm -hmm. enabling DLT platforms to better share information between the, the, the stakeholders in, in, a, in the insurance value chain, for example, between a broker and insurer, or between insurers and, and reinsurers. And, and that's the current sort of focus that we see in sort of three, three to five years time, people really starting to pick up on how they can deliver new products to the market and enable perhaps the, the uninsured or the unbanked to access insurance. And then in the future, it's, it's sort of normalized, this sort of technology, distributed ledger technology built into most applications that are out there in the market, enabling people to better connect and share information more seamlessly and, and, uh, and do sort of uh, deliver new business and processes and, and new customer outcomes, better customer outcomes. Yeah, I think on that as well, um, when we start to look at, uh, you know, how you, you, you advise these companies to look at this, the, if you start to focus too much on cost, people are automatically think about headcount reduction as well. And in a time like mm -hmm. this, when we're seeing the unemployment levels, that's not something that's going to sit well on any board or in any company that we're, we're going after the cost. So yeah. does that mean headcount? What you've really got to focus on is growth. It's being able to do more with the same teams that you've got today. Um, yeah. That's one of the big selling points that we're looking at towards is how can we take what you've got today, enable you to continue with the same team, but do a lot more business and drive you know, the value of your company up that way, as opposed to we can come in and we can slash you know, 10 points, um, <laughs> maybe not 10, but many <laughs> points, we can slash that off, um, off your books um, by cutting you know, headcount. That's not what people are going to want to hear over the coming years. Yeah. It's how we focus on growth and maintaining our workforce and uh, becoming more profitable that way. I think certainly some of the feedback we've had over the time and was talking to customers and uh, it, it's round about um, you know, having more headspace. And, and to that point, it's not necessarily, yes, efficiencies is, is important, but it's also looking at the ability to be more innovative. And like you say, whether it's about product yeah. innovation. So actually spend, so that they're, um, I suppose employees can, can spend more time being strategic, being innovative, as opposed to doing the administrative, administrative tasks that, again, are there is frictional costs there, but actually just freeing up some more time to sort of engage in that more strategic, longer-term sort of vision and growth. And, and that's the key thing and certainly some of the things that we speak about. You know, ultimately, it's the challenges first. How can we address those? It's obviously looking at how the, the interoperabilities and things are much more much more of a challenge when you've got larger organisations that already have leg legacy systems. But again, it's looking yeah. at how you integrate with those. But beyond that, you know, certainly some of the younger companies that we're talking to, it is all about being as efficient as possible and, uh, you know, looking at how they can be as innovative as possible and freeing up that manpower to do much more innovative and growth um, strategy as opposed to the administration stuff. 
Yeah, I think speaking of the younger companies, and Dave, you'd mentioned this before as well. Um, I think from the people I've talked to that are in like the startups or younger companies are actually like doing okay right now because they're agile, they're kind of adjusting to COVID, I think. Um, but it's also hard being a startup in this time. Um, recently, I had uh, Ivar from our venture development team on the podcast and he was talking about how they're, uh, they're supporting startups. And I just think the younger companies have a really good opportunity, but it's definitely difficult in this time, um, especially if they're trying to go through fundraises and, and all that. Um, so that's, that's an interesting one. Um, so what are you guys doing specifically on Corda and why do you pick Corda? Why not? We'll just throw that in there. Oh, why do we pick Corda? <laughs> I think we actually, we were probably the first company insurance to pick Corda. Uh, that was a long time ago. We, we, we started that journey, I think like a lot of people on Ethereum and we had the shortcomings. Yeah. We were looking at enterprise solutions. All of these uh, technologies have got a, a good way, but we found we were building frameworks around, you know, existing blockchain technologies we had lots of problems with security and privacy and how we were working around those. And when Corda came out, it was a breath of fresh air for us, really. Someone else had mm. done the, you know, they'd done the hard work. They'd taken, you know, the input from the banks, the financial institutes, and they built a platform that's kind of targeted at huge volumes of transactions. In the insurance industry, we're probably talking lower volume, higher value transactions. And it just seemed to be, it was the, the perfect fit for us. Uh, based on you know the technology as well, the fact that it was running on we could use Java, all of our team of yeah. Java developers, it was a very easy transition um, to move from where we were to Corda, and um, we've, you know we've, we haven't got any um, regrets going forward with Corda. I think we're I think we're sort of the biggest advocates of it, um, and I think we've seen it most of the insurance industry when you look at the consortiums out there. You've got the the BTIs, you've got the yeah. waves, you've got the risk stream or this risk stream risk blocks going yeah. on they've all got they're all um, gravitating towards quarter and i think that's, that says a lot about the technology everyone is doing their own independent assessment but it's given us that um common platform where all of these separate projects are going on but eventually you can see they could all eventually merge onto one common technology which is going to be great for the industry going forward yeah, yeah. By the last count, Corda is being used by approximately 80% of the global insurance and reinsurance uh, players, by the way. so um, Numbers, man. We are numbers, <laughs> man. Thanks for your appointment. It's being, it's being well, well used uh, by, by a good number of players, um, but uh, it's still still early days, you know. Um, yeah. Our Corda Enterprise product has been out for just under two years now or something, so there's still a, a long way to go. I think um, we're seeing as well, people are focusing less on the technology. What the technology did was open up a lot of people's minds. To me, it yeah. was actually we have a technology that matches the business model. We don't want a centralized service in, for doing a lot of these business interactions or having one person controlling all the data, all the issues that come off the back of that. But it got people working together, thinking how can we collaborate better within effect our competitors? Because in the insurance industry, you're always working with your competitors, particularly on the reinsurance side. Um, yeah. And it's just that collaboration via the technology and the thought of that came about. And now people are collaborating more. I think the, the technology is, uh, is it, no one's really thinking too much about it now. It's kind of being yeah. accepted. And, you know, everyone's using Corda, which is great for R3, and I think it's great for industry. Um, but the fact that we're getting people to work together on, in a technology way, people understand their data is protected and we can guarantee process and we can guarantee we've got a single source of the truth without someone trying to monetize it. Um, it's a, it's an exciting time. Yeah. 
Definitely. I think specifically in the insurance industry, right? Like the, for us, specifically when I think about users on Corda, like in the insurance industry, it's kind of like, it was like a snowball effect kind of with, um, in the R3 ecosystem at least, which is great. Um, I don't want to take up all of your guys' time, but have you guys picked up on anything like while you're working from home, any, um, interesting talents you realize you've had or anything that you've done differently now that we're all at home all the time? <laughs> I like asking this question because people say very interesting things. <laughs> I never knew I could be a teacher teaching my three young kids at home in my spare time. <laughs> oh, hey, that's good. Do you think they're learning? <laughs> not, not well for me. <laughs> I never knew my partner Hannah could hula hoop. So that was something we found out. Hula hoop? That's a good form of exercise for anyone that's interested, yeah. I'm so bad at hula hooping. I think I'm too long and I like I just don't. (laughs) (laughs) I now actually have a working fridge and my children have never seen so much of me, I think. Because last year we were working out how many flights we were traveling most of the year and and yeah so having a working fridge that I can actually use (laughs) and uh, actually become a reasonably good cook um and uh yeah spending more time with 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 the kids although they're they are older it's actually been just been really quite nice to spend the time with them and uh yeah so uh, get to have conversations and do puzzles and simple things like that but I would like to get out into the real world sometime soon yeah yeah, I forget personal skills. <laughs> I know we're lucky that we can. I I uh, I have noticed that I'm just ordering very random things. Like this isn't something I pick. I just have like on the way. Um, I have a beading kit coming. I don't know even what that really is. I'm just. I have boxing gloves. Crafts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there, I have crafts. Then I have boxing gloves. I got a, a typewriter. <laughs> I don't know. I can't explain these things. But anyways, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, For people who are interested in learning more about um, Chain That, where should they go? Oh, they can go to chainthat.com. They want to have a look at the website or get in touch with us on LinkedIn if if, if they feel so desired to. Yes, I will link all of uh, this information in the bio of the episode. And Victor... Thank you for joining me. Once I asked Victor to come on the podcast and then I recorded without him. So <laughs> never forgive me for that one. I'm sorry. You guys were so great. And he's done his hair especially today, so just as well he's done. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's almost under control. <laughs> it looks great. It looks great. Okay, thank you guys for joining me from home. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.